Welcome to Gray Maybe, a limited series podcast and social experiment based on this season's topic, grief. My name is Jillian Schmitz. I'm a professional dancer, actor, teacher, author, artist, and cat lover. Through my own personal journey of recovery, I found that things aren't just black or white or a simple yes or no. For me, in my recovery, there has been mostly gray area and a lot of maybes. In most of my stories, you can find the gray maybe. I'll be sharing my own process through personal stories and interviews with others in an effort to help investigate the process of and recovery through grief. If you'd like to share your story, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Before we get started, if you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're using to catch future episodes of Gray Maybe. A note before we start. My stories and the stories of others on this podcast are told through the lens of our own experience. The revelation of our process is ours to tell. If you disagree with the views or stories on this podcast, know that we are not speaking on anything other than our own experiences and viewpoints. Take what you like and leave the rest. Nothing expressed or mentioned in this podcast is an endorsement or is meant to be taken as advice. It is strictly the sharing of our own experiences and recovery. Any feelings this podcast activates in the listener is for the listener to process and recover from. Any criticism you have based on these experiences and choices are yours, and they are not anyone else's burden to carry. Trigger warning, death, brain cancer, sudden death. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Gray Maybe. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. If this is the first time you're tuning in, welcome, welcome. If you are a repeat listener, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for continuing to tune in. And also, if you're new, I hope you would consider listening to some of the other episodes in the other two seasons as well as this season. Today, I have a very good friend of mine. And I say that a lot. I say all all the people I bring on are friends of mine. But this is someone who was originally one of my main mentors when I first moved to Los Angeles. She was one of my main teachers. She taught me a lot about dancing, a lot about the industry. And I watched her as um, a sort of model in the industry and got to hear a lot of her background and her expertise in dance and assisting choreographers and choreography. Um, she is also a veteran dancer. She is, but she's been in some pretty big projects. I always tell her projects. I always should shout them out. She's cringing right now, but she was in Baby Got Back, the music video, which I'm sure she's like, you know, it's whatever. But that was very, very, that's a big deal to me growing up. I loved that song. It was a cultural icon. She is in that video. She is in Rhythm Nation, that music video. And those are just a very small portion of the work and body of work she did as a dancer and as an assistant choreographer and as a choreographer. So I just like to highlight those. But she was all over the industry, tours, TV, film, very, very well versed in all of it. And she has become such a very close, dear friend of mine. 
I would like to welcome Terry or Terrence, Terry, a.k.a. Terrence, Terrence, a.k.a. Terry Yates to the Gray Maybe podcast. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's our hello. You were ready for it. Yeah, I didn't, you warned me, but I wasn't ready. I was ready. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love it. I love it. It came to me literally just seconds ago before. Oh, good. So it's authentic. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add to that intro? Um, that I'm a badass realtor also. That's right. I didn't even talk about like the other things you've done. The like Jamaican you have been a I caretaker. Am. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, you're a teacher. You are a, uh, a, a, you're a real estate agent. You are, you have been a caretaker. You're very involved in community things. You have quite a few communities that you're very, very active in. Um, you are a very well-rounded person. I'll say that. That's for damn sure. Oh. Anything else that you want the peoples to know? No, I'm, I think they'll get to hear it all through our talk, you know. Yes, the interrogation. The inter the, you know, I'm very passionate about what I say, but my mind can be changed. That's what I like to right. say. Yes, that's true. It's the interrogation. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh -huh. Okay. So now, because I know you, because we've been close, um, this season on the podcast, we're talking about grief. And I had a front row seat watching you caretake your mother, who was very ill with cancer for a number of years and fought hard, 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 and was a diamond through the whole process. I, I have no idea how. Yeah. Um, and you were her full-time caretaker for a number of years. And I had to watch from the wings, uh, the theoretical wings. Um, you know, you have to walk your way through this incredible grief. And, you know, a lot of people on the podcast I've, I have, have talked about losing a, a parent. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, when I think of you and your mom, I don't think of your mom as your parent. I think of her as so much more of like someone so much closer to you than a parent. And I know people are like, well, what could be closer to a parent? Like a friend, sister, parent, like you and your mom had a relationship that I don't know a lot of people that have that kind of relationship with their parents. So when, when she talks about this today, like I need everybody to know who's listening that Sandra, your mother was so much more to you than just a maternal figure. Absolutely. And that's what was so painful watching you go through this because it was so much more than just losing a parent. Um, so with that being said, and you can talk about, you know, you don't have to get deep into the experience of, of your mom. If you want to tell that journey, you can. If you just want to speak about grief in general, you know, we're, we're whatever is convenient and comfortable here. But... I will yield the floor to you if, and, and give us a little background on, on that. Um, yes, she was more than just my mother. Um, she was this amazing light and um, just an, ex an amazing example of how to live life. And um, so I, I, I think this journey, what's unique to me about my journey is that when I was a young girl, my mother tried to commit suicide. And um, so I, I don't even know if you and I have had this talk. So um, I don't know. I know a lot about your mom. I know she had, there was, she 
experienced a lot of trauma, a lot of different types of trauma, you and your sisters. I'm not going to get into what you'll say or not say, but you guys also growing up have experienced quite a lot of trauma. I don't know a lot of families that stuck together like you guys did and like the relationships. I think that's very uncommon um, given all the things you guys went through, but I don't know if I knew that specifically. Yeah. um, You know, she was really young when she had me. She was 16 when she had me. So that meant she was pregnant while she was 15. So that meant, Mm. um, yeah. And her mom died when she was nine. So, um, my mother really believed that if you kissed a boy, you could get pregnant. That's Mm -hmm. how naive and, uh, she was. And even, um, keeping me was like, you know, the pastor at the church wanted her to give me up and, you know, these, this, this family can't have kids and they'll send you to schools. And, you know, she was training to be a concert pianist. So, but she said, no, this is my baby. And so, you know, by the time she was 26, she had five kids and um, four different dads. And, you know, my the second one after me, that dad beat her, um, took her from my mom with a gun pointed to my head might be a little much for your readers all listeners already but uh (laughs) we'll give some trigger warnings sorry um so there was there was the abuse that went on and just you know before the healthiness took place a lot of unhealthiness took place and but there was always love there was always the amazing amount of love that she had for us and she fought hard she fought hard to keep us she fought hard so anyway at one point she tried to commit her to kill herself and i remember standing in the shower with her and, and I don't even remember it. Was 911 even around back then? That's like, I'm like, when did 911 start? I remember the campaign for 911 being pretty heavy in the 80s. Yeah. So this but like was, in the mid to late 80s. Yeah, nah. So like every kid knew, like there were like PSAs and the more you know on TV, like call 911. But I don't know. I don't know how I knew to call to get help for her. I don't know how I, mm-hmm. I managed to do maybe that. Maybe it was like operator or something. Yeah, do you I, think it was like maybe. the operator or the pound key or something? Girl, look. I don't know. My brain. There are things I think I block. Anyway, uh, memory goes, no, I don't think so. So, um, mm-hmm. but anyway, my whole point about this is, is that I was standing. Um, they came and we went to the hospital and back then it was like those swinging doors, right, that you go in and out of and they have these little um, portholes, like the, like windows that you could see through. And I was on my tiptoes. I, it was that high up. I was on my tiptoes watching them work on her. And, um, my mother died on that table. Mm. And this may, people can believe or whatever they want, but she says that she was leaving her body and she looked over and saw my face in that window. Mm-hmm. and came back. And as she said, like, whoever it was was like, it's too soon. You have to go back. And she saw me and she came back. I say this story because that trauma, unbeknownst to me, stayed with me forever, like for my entire life, like up until, the, you know, I'm much better now. But as I grew, there was this part of me that, that was always afraid of her dying. Mm -hmm. So when she became ill and you know, you hear cancer and 
you flip out a little and then you try not to, I think it triggered me again. Mm-hmm. And as I cared for her, every year she would say, I'm not getting better. And I'd go, but there, this is better and this is better. I tried to be, you right. know. I don't think it's Pollyanna. I just tried to be really um, encouraging. Mm-hmm. And, um, but she was right. Um, and the leukemia, she had a very rare leukemia. And they said that this won't kill you, but most likely the symptoms that, the side effects that come about from having it will be what kills you. So we mm-hmm. really cared for her. Like all day long, I cared for her and in the evening someone would tag team me my dad most most of the time or my sister would come um but you know I had the flexibility to be that person and at one point I ended up moving in with her um with you know into the house to to care for her Mm -hmm. and so um that was a whole thing in and of itself you really gave up your life to to take care of her. There was, you know, I, I met you as a um, professional dancer who was later in your career looking to possibly transition, not fully out of dance. Right. Dance has always been a part of your life. But you you were starting real estate. Uh, you, you were, I think you worked at an office even. Like I remember you coming from the office to come teach no, I or did. something. I was a loan, I, I assisted two loan officers first. Okay, so that, that happened first happened before, first. okay that night. Yes. So I remember you coming from the office uh-huh. to come teach when I was training. And then, you know, then there was like this chunk of time where you were just helping your mom and unless it fit within the, your mom's schedule of office visits and, you know, watching her and helping her and making sure she was sick, like it wasn't happening. There were dance opportunities you were not doing. There were job opportunities that got turned down. There was this whole chunk of time where that was your job. That's what you did. And I remember that time. Um, and that was probably was, were you full-time caretaking before you moved into the house or was that kind of like that happened at the same time? Um, no, um, it all kind of, it, it was a grinding halt. It like didn't happen all mm-hmm. at once. And because I also had in my Buddhist community, I had a huge responsibility. So I was literally driving so I would, this is before she needed someone at the house full time. I would drive, you know, to her, take care of her, and then drive even further, um, maybe to Westlake or Thousand Oaks or wherever I had to go because it, to care for, you know, to go and to a meeting or to see members or chant with somebody. So all of that happened, um, and then, and then I was trying to do real estate in the meantime, between time, and. And it, it literally, I, and it's kind of hard to say, you know, like the universe was just like, I need you just to care for your mom now. Mm-hmm. And things stopped. I, I even, the, the last deal I had was like the worst deal ever um, before I came, like before I, I had to take a break from real estate even because it was the bank was the banking system. They were trying to close down on people. It was just a nightmare. So it was like nightmares after night uh, on top of nightmares. And she was good for a while. 
She really was like, you know, and but the problem was that she started, she was on really heavy duty um, narcotic pain medication, so she couldn't drive. And that was, you know, a really sensible choice by her. And she, so part of, part of all of this, this grieving started from almost from that moment, from the moment that you hear those words, I have this rare leukemia. And then for a minute, I didn't equate that with cancer, but right. it's, you know, it's a blood cancer. And so, um, I think as I look back, that's when I started grieving, honestly. And we, and we've talked a little bit with some of my guests on this season. We've, there's this thing, this idea of anticipatory grief has come up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And as like, so definitely from that diagnosis, there's that anticipatory grief, right? Like that fear of the worst outcome and you're anticipating that thing, right? Or it getting worse and like the anxiety surrounding that. And I'm wondering if too, like you talking about this traumatic experience of seeing your mom die and come back at such a young age, if that anxiety around that wasn't always that anticipatory grief, like you saw it happen once, like what's keeping it from happening again in a way and like oh, absolutely. that kind of just every day kind of is the other shoe going to drop? I, I, well, here's the thing. I I don't think that I consciously thought that because no. she became, you know, she found the love of her life, became very happy, um, healed so many things and just was this powerhouse woman. Like she started businesses. She was rehabbing houses. I mean, like she was a badass. She was running things. So I wasn't really thinking, oh, she's going to die any minute now. That wasn't there. But what happened was I was triggered again to that back to that moment when mm-hmm. she became ill and was diagnosed. That's Got when it. the trigger hit. I didn't, you know, we were, we had fun. We laughed and traveled and, you know, she was my best friend. We did everything together. Mm-hmm. That woman, there is not a, there is not one thing that has happened to me that she didn't know about. She mm-hmm. held all my secrets, all my dreams. Yes. She had. I'm everything. always so shocked at the conversations you guys have because I, I am on the opposite spectrum of that yeah. mother daughter relationship. Mm-hmm. Like my mom and I uh, are, I would, the things that you have said, the words you've said in front of your mother, the conversations you've had, I would never, and I am a very, I mean, I spent, you know, listen, my mom is constantly kind of embarrassed by the things I say, but like you guys had a whole like next level, next level. You guys were very open with each other. It was, it was so cool. It was so cool. That's all I gotta say about that. But it was shocking from someone who just doesn't have that and has never really seen that kind of open and honesty, but yes. Okay. So that anticipatory grief hit hard when you got that diagnosis. Yeah, it did. And I, um, I don't think that, and it, and it wasn't a conscious, um, registering of that information Mm -hmm. that it didn't, I didn't consciously register that, um, in my being, I think I did. And, and part of it was, um, I didn't want to lose her period point blank. I didn't, I couldn't imagine 
And I think I said it to you on one or two occasions. I said, I can't imagine my life without her. And um, I, I didn't want to imagine my life without her. I, you know, we're in year five now of having lost her. And there's a whole story that you haven't even heard yet of how much I have transformed this grief. But mm. people, you know, like, um, like months later, one of my other besties, her mom died. And, and so because I had just gone through it months earlier, I was like, we can't leave her alone. We got to go. So we like got on a plane and flew to Houston and then drove three hours to Kingville to be at her mother's funeral. She had no idea we were coming um, because I had just gone through it. And I also, mm -hmm. once my mom died, um, I, like, you know, the grieving happens in some of the most uncomfortable and opportune moments as I sit in the middle of color purple and um, just start sobbing. Um, mm -hmm. At like near the end of this show, my mother loved color purple. My entire family can recite every line to color purple. I cannot, um, but they can. And so I'm just sobbing in the middle of this. And then I remember at one point just getting on a plane and I call it my runaway tour. I got on a plane and flew to Maryland to stay with a friend, went into DC, saw things, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then got on a train and went to New York and, went to shows and <laughs> just hung out. And then I came home and grief was just sitting there on the porch going, Hey girl, how you doing? Mm -hmm. I know you ran, but we still here. Right. I just wait for you. Just, just, just for waiting you. for you. Just, I know it was my runaway tour did jackedly for me at, at yeah. Yeah. Just like just a cigarette on the front right? porch. How you doing? How'd that happen? And then, and all it said was, nice job you did on your credit card there. Oh, yeah. So now you have grief plus. Grief plus that credit card going, yeah, about that. Yeah. But it didn't matter. I just was trying to run. I just was, I just mm -hmm. needed to get away from what I thought I was getting away from. But when, when that, I think there's a saying, you know, grief, you know, is a journey. It, um, and if it's not, it should be because it is, it is a journey and it, there is not a straight line and the peaks and valleys are some of the deepest valleys that I've ever experienced in my life. I, I had to go to therapy after a year of thinking I could handle it. I went to therapy and every time I went in, the knot in my throat, which burned literally, mm -hmm. um, because I, I couldn't stop crying. I just, from the depths of my soul, I could not stop crying. And I, I felt like I wished I had gone and I encourage people to do this. I wish I had gone to one of those rooms where you throw shit Oh yeah, the rage room, rage or whatever they're called. Really, yeah. whatever they're called. Wish I had done that. Wish I had gone and thrown 
because in there you can scream, you can cry, you can break stuff because I was so broken mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to function. I didn't know how to, I was with you. We were at Pineapple Saloon. Mm -hmm. How many times, like as a couple of times, I think I just broke down and cried. Oh, all the time. Yeah. And I had no idea what to do. So I would just sit there <laughs> and watch you. And I was like, fuck, I wish I could like make this better. Which is like what everybody, you know, that's right. what is so funky about it. It's like nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what to say. And 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 most people are going to say the wrong thing because there's never really a good thing to say. Even though everybody wants something to say, they feel like they need to say something. Um, and everyone's so individual in what they want to hear or don't hear. Right. Um, so that's really hard too. And, and it's really, if you're empathetic at all as a person, it's really hard to watch someone suffer. It's just so yeah. hard. You know, and here's the interesting thing. I, I felt there's two sides to that. I felt safe with you. Um, and I even think Stefan was there once. Um, yeah, he was there. A couple times. Yeah. Um, I felt safe with you. And, and then I felt bad because I knew you felt bad. So then I felt See, uh, like, and I, yeah, I'm just saying, I like, I know because people, there's, you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. And, and you know, when people would say, I'm so sorry, I'm like, yeah, me too. And I know people mm -hmm. like, it's not politically correct probably i'm like yeah i'm i'm really sorry too no, like, i think that's real I think that's real and, and there's something no sorry go no on. no no i don't say i'm sorry i honestly don't say that to people like mm -hmm. i've i've started my own book of what to say and what not to say when someone Ooh. dies because Ooh, we need that book yeah we need that book. because society needs that book people just like and just wrong and then like it's kind of like when someone has cancer, though. Everyone thinks they have the cure or you need to try this. Right. Oh, and yes. All of a sudden, stop. everybody. Yes. Yeah. Everybody is an expert all of a sudden because they know this one person who did this one thing and right. now they're fine. Right. Or they read an article or they would. And it's like that is another that is the same thing as not knowing what to say is in that moment of feeling helpless and anxious. You want to offer a solution. Right. What I've. And this is what I've learned about myself in going into recovery rooms where the rules are really strict about what you're allowed to do and say, like how long you're allowed to share. And you're not allowed to give feedback. You're not allowed to comment on what someone says. You're not allowed to offer advice. You know, the, at best, you could say, would you like a suggestion? Right. And even then, that's at the end after the meet. That's not while it's going on. Yeah. So you have to just learn how to sit and listen and not offer all those things. So if you as a person who's like, I never know how to act in these situations, let me tell you right now, don't offer a solution. Don't offer your advice unless it's asked for. Right. Just sit there and hold space for that person. Right. And like, that's the, just sit and hold space. That's all you can really do. And that's, that's the best way of not pissing anyone off. I'll tell you that right now. Like, that's all I know. And I wish I was like, I was not in this process. Like, I was not this far along in my process when you were going through that. I was really ill-equipped. Like, I wish I had the skills that I have now, or I could have tried to use that skill set more then that I have now. Although, who knows? Maybe I think I'm way better off than I actually am. I'm sitting here like, I'm so much better now. Not, probably not. Probably not. But... <laughs> But yeah, that, that cancer diagnosis stuff, all of a sudden everybody's got a fucking cure and it's, it's insulting. It's insulting, it's not helpful and, and it's enraging and it's hard and it makes it all harder and 
it's so hard for people to avoid doing. Well, I, I was I was lucky, if you can call it that, that my mother had a very rare diagnosis. So right. um, I didn't have to field as much of that as people like to do with breast cancer, say. Right. You know, um, you know, the old standbys. So everybody had like, you know, I didn't have that. Um, I learned a lot through this process. I learned and I, tra- I, um, I uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I shifted my grief to ab- transformed tra- or- to other things that could help me. I got better at things. I became an ad- a really good advocate. I became really great as a caretaker, caregiver. Mm-hmm. I came I, and, and as an advocate and in, in encouraging people on advocacy, I learned, you know, about organizations that help people with cancer. And I involved myself with those people. I, I ran a marathon. Okay, I'm sorry. Every year, you still do no, it. No, no, no. I walked a marathon. No, 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 no. Right, no, no. Right. Marathon, a real marathon. Not that thing that, like, that little, oh, that this little is walk. Okay, okay. That walk is up. Yes. Yeah. She does it every year. But this is an, this in is addition totally, to I did uh, the Lymphoma and Leukemia Society um, has a marathon that you can do. And I did the half marathon. Let's be clear. Because a full marathon, I was like, those people? And um, and I'm not a – and I, I said, I'm a halfer for life, and then I'm just going to be like, let's be real. I'm, I never want to do this again. 13 miles, 13 whatever, 13 point whatever miles of – but it, it helped me. Um, it helped me uh, put my energy somewhere. There's a word I'm looking for I can't think about it. I can't figure it, find it. But anyway. Transcended? No, 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 no. It, it just helped me um, uh, put my energy somewhere, navigate uh, this process. I was able to utilize um, my my lack of control. So I was able mm-hmm. to, to do things that helped me in control and in honor of my mother. So I ran the marathon. And I did the marathon in honor of my mother. Um, and my sister did it with me. My one sister did it with me. And, uh, and um, yeah, I don't think we'll ever. <laughs> we will never do it again. But um, it was an amazing experience nonetheless. And my mother was honored that we did it for her. She was so, it, those things made her feel seen. And mm-hmm. so or, or, you know, so it really was helpful in that way. It was a journey because the grief part of it is that she didn't just get cancer. All of us got it. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, we all had to learn to navigate the, the diagnosis and what, what it meant to us and how can I help. Yeah. How can, because I'm just sitting here. So now I want to become that girl, you know, and then I, when I realized I wasn't that good at that, then I created the shows, the benefits that we did to raise money for organizations that help people with cancer. And I think that all of that is part of the process. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is what helped you through your process was kind of, and, and being able to mediate that lack of control, the powerlessness that comes with losing someone or someone having this long debilitating illness is the the ability to 
do things, right? That yeah. have some kind of a deep meaning. You were very involved in these cancer organizations, which was the one that we did, uh, We Speak, We Spark, We Spark. We did for We Spark and Living Beauty. Those were the two that she, that supported her the most in her journey. Um, and they, you know, support the whole family. And that's who I walk for every year. I do, mm -hmm. I do that walk every year. They've now just put me on the t-shirt without, because I'm so late when it comes time to. Nice. To, to but they know about. you're going to be there. But they know, no, yeah. no, they know I'm going to raise enough money. So now they're oh, just, yeah, yeah. yeah, you only get on the t-shirt if you raise enough money. So they just immediately put us on the t-shirt. I love like, it. They're like, we know it. you're going to raise enough money. Like, I'm like, I know I probably could raise more if I was a little more on it before it happens. No, but you do a good, you do a good job. Um, and we spark also has a lot of, um, like support groups and stuff like that. We'll link in the show notes, yes. these orgs. Um, Terry has always been really outspoken about getting the kind of support. Anytime we hear anyone around us has cancer has been diagnosed. That is one thing that you've been very proactive about as far as not advice or suggestion, but Hey, do you know about this? Right. Because I think the one thing that separates you from other people that have gone through crippling uh, grief is that you are so community oriented and it's not by mistake. It's not that you're just like, I don't know if that's a natural inherent uh, trait of yours. Uh, you know, like maybe it is, but I think that that is something that is the cure to everything that is that you have dis-ease around is community and you have that in your religion you have that in these cancer orgs so you are very pro community and I am also very pro community although I am not when I'm in my depths the last thing I want to do is community but that is the first thing I should be doing um, and I say that for anybody else who might not come to community right off the bat if you're someone who when things get shitty, go to isolation. The contrary action is always going to be community. They say the opposite of, a, of addiction is connection, which mm, is also community. Mm. So the thing that I've always known about you is you refuse to suffer alone. And I think that is like something people really can choose to embrace. You don't have to suffer alone. You, you may not get to choose if you have to suffer or not. Like right. you may not get to choose the circumstances and the situations, but you do not have to do it alone. And when people say that, I'm sure someone like me gets that like hair up the back of their neck. Like, I don't want to tell people my business. And it's like, no, no, no. But you just got to tell the right people your business. Right. Like you're not, you might not get the support from everybody else who doesn't have someone who's already gone through or is currently going through cancer, but you could go to WeSpark in their support groups and everyone there is going exactly, knows exactly what's good. It may not be the exact same thing. They may be dealing with different things, but everyone is there because those are your people in that moment. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. Like, I don't want to belong to that group, mm -hmm. but you already do. So you might as well get the perks. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? Yes. I want, I would love for you to talk a little bit about, um, I didn't put this on the question list. So here's a surprise one. Um, so one thing and I'll, I'll, okay, so I'll backtrack. So recently with my father's passing, I, I flew into town at the eighth hour, like things were going bad. He was sick for many years. I flew in and um, I got to see him before we drugged him up. And that was my calling. I was very passionate about him being very comfortable. And I, for those of you who may not know, 
nurses are not going to just give them comfort drugs. You have to ask for that, especially if your loved one or person you're caring for cannot advocate for themselves, which was my dad. He was nonverbal for the last few years he was alive. So he could not tell us if he was in pain or not. So we were the people who had to decide that for him. And nurses will look for certain subtle clues are not so subtle, like rising blood pressure. But by that time, they could be really suffering. So I flew in, I got to see him, he saw me, and then I was like, lights out, let's get this going. And I was so forceful, politely forced when I needed to be, and then not polite when I didn't need to, when it was no longer necessary. And I got everything I wanted. And I made things happen that would not have happened without me being there, but they especially would not have happened had I not listened to your experience and how much of an advocate you were for your mom when she was sick. So not only were you a caretaker, but there is a whole way that you advocated for her within the medical uh, system that I think is unique because of how much you had to deal with it and what you realized that needed to happen and didn't need and what you could say and what you couldn't say. And really there's nothing you couldn't say. Let's, let's just break it down. Like, and I want you to talk a little bit, like if you could tell people out, like give an abbreviated version of what you've given me over the years, try to do that. (laughs) Like, but like, you know, a little bit about that, because this is a thing, like I wouldn't have known to do that. I would have wanted to maybe, or maybe because I didn't see the example. I didn't hear the words. I didn't, there are certain things that through your experience, I picked up on and just grabbed onto and was like, all right, it's Terry time, motherfuckers. Like, what would Terry do? You know, like that was kind of the deal. And it made all the difference. It made all the difference in everything that happened. So, you know, for people who ever are in this situation, and I hate to break it to those of you who are listening, it's probably going to happen at some point. So, unfortunately, like just throw this in the back of your head for emergency because it will bring you some peace. It will bring you some peace in moments that you need peace. You will have that because you're like, oh, I fought hard. I got them what they need. I know that they were not paying. I know I got my, you know, any little bit of peace that you can find in these moments is good peace. So after I will stop talking so you can actually comment, what do you want to tell people about that? Um, well, here's, here's the thing. Everything I learned how to care for a human being came from my mother, first of all. But I used to feel bad that I wasn't more like her because she was so like when we when when somebody thinks of mother earth that was my mom and there was an edge to me that did not allow me to be that girl but i realized that that girl is who i needed to be in order to care for her so i i was able to come to terms with it my mother never spent the night in the hospital by herself never it was either me or my dad and maybe once or twice my sister, but my mother never slept by herself. I, it, whether I was in a chair, whether I had them bring in a bed, whatever, my mother never spent the night by herself. And so that was first. And I also would not allow them to check on her every frigging hour while she was trying to rest. Hospital is not a place to rest. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. So I got to the point where I'd be like, hi. I need you to put a note on the door that no one can come back in until 6 a.m. I'm in here. If something goes Yeah, off, unless I come and get you, don't, I don't worry need, about it. She's good. I'm here. 
And most nurses are really good about that because mm -hmm. they need help. There's like so many yeah, people. They have other things they to do. They have so much to do. And I'm like, I... They're like, thank God you're on the clock right now. Right. <laughs> and, and I will be the first to say, I, if I don't know what I'm... Like, I don't do anything. Like, you know, I, I didn't try and do their job. I just was able to be there. She needed ice. I could go get her ice. She needed to go to the bathroom. I could help take her to the bathroom. There were things that I could do that if she was calling for them, who knows when they would get there. So that was first of all. And so um, I just, I learned to, um, that even there were times my dad would take her and I would be, call me, I would be on the phone. Even now, if my dad has to go and I can't go with him to the doctor, I ask for him to, to call, you know, bring me in on the call when the doctor comes in. Never listen, never, never go to the doctor by yourself. Never let someone go by themselves. They can't hear anything. They can't hear everything. It's too emotional. And if you're emotional, break out your phone and record them. I took notes. We had a notebook that, you know, we knew what was being said, what was being done. We, you know, what medication was happening. Here's what she's doing. Here's what's going on. As, as a, as someone is advocating for someone, I, you know, I just, I knew when the doctors were coming in, so I would make sure I was there. We were all there if we could be, if you know. Um, so I think that uh, I, and I've had some testy moments with doctors. We had two oncologists and they were brilliant men, but they were fighting. And I basically said, cause I was like, he's not calling me back. I said, guys, I don't care whose dick is bigger. I need you to get mm -hmm. along because my mother is the point here. Please tell me you said that. I did. You said dick. Oh, I did. Oh my God, I love you I so much. I absolutely did. And, and and one doctor, her neurologist, if I knew what the things I know now, but her neurologist would literally put me to sleep. I'd just be in his office just like trying to stay awake. And he says to her, um, okay, I'll see you in 30 days and see if there's any difference. I'm like, I look up. I'm like, excuse me? What more do you need in 30 days? She's fallen. She's da 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 da, da. I'm like, I'm running the litany of things. Mm -hmm. And that was the day that man became part of our team. Because I was like, I, I, I lost my mind. I, you know, I was, I wasn't loud. I was very succinct. And like, these are her issues. You, but I overheard the nurses saying that they, this is what they do. They put you off for 30 days. Mm -hmm. Because they've got a rotation of patients mm -hmm. that they have to see. I'm like, my mother mm -hmm. is not that rotation. She's not going to be in that rotation for you. She needs care now. And he literally, my mother was septic. He called on a Saturday. I need you to get your mom to the emergency room right now. Her blood workers come back. She's septic. Like mm -hmm. he, but before that, I got nothing. Like I had to like, and then I just found a way to just, you know, we pulled these people together and we made them realize she was a human being, that she was not a patient. Mm -hmm. She was a human being. And that's what she wanted to be seen as. And it's what she said. I'm not right. a patient. I'm not a sick person. I'm a human being right. that needs care. Right. And so anyway. Yes. And I don't know if I got the nurses and the social workers who were in charge of trying to get my dad out of 
palliative care in the hospital into hospice. I don't know if I got them to think of him as a human being, but what I did get them was to want to avoid me and get me out of their face Here's as that. soon as possible. Yes. And I was fine with that. Right. I didn't need them, you know, cause I was on the, I was on the, the finish line. You know, my dad was going to pass. It wasn't like, this wasn't an ongoing thing. He had been deteriorating for a long time. And this was kind of like, we were hoping he would pass soon and not, you know, fast. We didn't want this to be any more him to be in any more discomfort than necessary. And so when I was speaking to these people, I was really sweet to the nurses, very, very sweet. But I also, they kept hearing from me. Right. So I kept going up to their station. Hi, can you do this? Hi, uh, can you check this? Hi, can you move him this? Hi, can you add this? Hi, if this was your loved one, how much more pain meds do you think they, hi, if, if he wakes up in the night, how are you going to know he's in pain? Can we already discuss what that's going to be? Can you just put him on a regimen? You know, yes. and all these questions, yes. like my mom and my dad are watching, or my mom and my brother, my dad was probably watching too, my mom <laughs> and my brother, because this is how my dad was though. Right. See, my dad was like this in a, in a not, in an uncomfortable way. Mm-hmm. When my mom went to the hospital for severe, I don't know if she had a colitis attack or a food point, something, it was bad. It couldn't go either way. And she was in excruciating pain. They brought her to the emergency room. They weren't doing anything. And my dad called 911 from the hospital. Okay. And he said, I need help. Wow. I'm at the hospital and they will not help me. I need help for my wife. She is suffering. They gave her morphine. They did give her morphine. She was in so much pain. So that's my dad. So now, you know, and I can guarantee you he was not calm, cool, and collected on that 911 call. I guarantee you the 90% of that call was, uh, language that is not um appropriate (laughs) so like i am a calm cool i'm a little bit calmer and cooler in those moments but so my mom and my brother are watching me like i'm an alien because they they would not have advocated in this way because they're assuming that these nurses are just going to do that right and i'm like hell no No. i want to make sure that they know exactly what that is and i was such a squeaky wheel with the social workers, with these companies and with this thing. I was like 8 a.m. I'm calling. I'm calling every 10 minutes. Page them again. Oh, you know, I would. And then I would get, you know, this is like next level. But whatever information I got from the nurses, I took that information. Then I was throwing people under the bus left and right for in, you know, in, you know, people who are, oh, I got more information from him than the social worker. And she said she was going to tell me, why does the nurse know more than the social worker? Like, you know, I was just like, boom, boom, throwing people in front of the bus, did not care, did not care. And, um, you know, part of that's from you. So you look at Terry, look at what (laughs) good work you've done in the world. No, but I was very sweet to the nurses. And we were always very sweet through the stress and the, and the sadness to anyone until, right. Until, Things were not moving in the way that they should. And until they are treating you like a number or like a patient or like a sick or like it. And then that was where everything changed. Everything changed. My tone changed. And if you're listening, please, 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 please listen to what she's saying. Number one, don't go and get any health information without someone with you or at least record it or have someone else on the phone. Number one, number one. Number two, this is something I've recently gotten hip to. It's just a general medical thing. If you are asking for something and a doctor is trying to either talk you out of it, whether it be a test, um, a, a, a second opinion, a referral, whatever it is, if they are trying to talk you out of it or they look like they're not going to do whatever you're asking for, you need to say to them, please write this refusal in my chart. Right. 
please write on my chart that you are refusing me this fill in the blank, this blood test, this referral, this information, this whatever. Write it, document it in my chart that you are refusing this service. And I guarantee you, they will give you what you want because they do not want to write that. And if they do, now you have record. Yes. So that's another thing I've just noticed in general um, for your own health, whatever. Um, So you were always this very specific advocate when you would go with your mother and they would take blood, you would be, don't take that much blood. <laughs> You're like, she has a blood disease. Don't take all of her blood. Well, Stop don't it. take her immune system. That's what, right. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, yes, you're taking so much blood yes. every time she's going in all the time and she's not health, you know, she's not, her body's not working in a full capacity. So she's not regenerating the blood at the level that right. someone who is not fighting a major disease would be doing. Absolutely. Right. And they let you do that. Yes. I, yes. I mean, like, uh, there, she, her, she had rolling veins. Until she got a port, it was very different. It was hard because she finally got a port. But she had rolling veins, and somebody made her cry once. And so I became, like, psycho about it. Hi, if you're not good at this, don't do it. Right. Give me someone who is. Do, give me the best person you have to draw her blood because I'm going to tell mm-hmm. you right now, it will not be pretty. Mm-hmm. Do not do this. Do not hurt mm-hmm. her. And I, and in this tone was what I used. I was very clear because you made my mother cry. Somebody made my mother cry once. And after that, because I felt like shit that I didn't like stop them sooner. So Mm -hmm. I never let it happen again. Um, You know, she was my everything. And so, you know, they didn't see what I saw. They didn't, they're, my, my siblings don't, don't even know the stuff I saw. Like there are things mm-hmm. that happened that right. nobody knows about. Um, and she blew up at one point. She just gained so much weight. My mother was always a slender woman. Um, and we were going to, we had, we went to the outlet. She was in a wheelchair. Mm. You know, we went from the cane to the walker, to the wheelchair, back to the walker, to a cane. I mean, like it, because of her weight, like I, I slept in the room closest to her, um, bathroom the the wall we shared the bathroom she would just knock on the she sometimes she didn't even need to knock she was just like tear because she couldn't get off the toilet mm. she was so heavy she was not used to this this is a right. woman who was ne- she was almost 200 pounds so i would have to go lift her so that she could get back into bed or she needed to go to the bathroom she would call me or it like i slept with one ear open for so long that it's taken forever to get back to a sleep rhythm Yes. Because I just was listening for her all the time. Yes. My mom went through something similar because she would have to help my dad up to go to the restroom in the middle of the night. Yes. And as he started having bladder problems, that was every couple hours, right. you know, and she's listening for him the minute he, because my dad's brain thing, he was nonverbal. So he couldn't say like, help me, I'm awake. Right. So he couldn't say that. And then on top of that, there was something about his particular brain problem where he would think that he could still do certain things, mm-hmm. which I think isn't actually even indicative of his brain thing. I think it's as we age, we forget that like we might not be able to do all the things that right. we once were able to. Right. And I think a lot of people who are dealing with any kind of degeneration physically might deal with this because he was still trying to lean over and like pick up a piece of lint off the floor, which is something he did in his wellness all the time. He was always like, see something on the floor and pick it up. And he would try to do that with a walker. And we're like, bro, <laughs> you're... 
hello, like you're on a walker. Right. It's not time to pick up lint off the end. He would fall, you know, and so yes. him getting out of bed, like my mom would have to help him. So she was sleeping with one ear open for and getting up multiple times a night for years. And I was wondering how quickly that would go away from her, you know, go away for her if she'd be able to kick back in or not. And I don't I haven't checked in with her specifically about that recently, but I know exactly kind of. I, yeah, I you, imagine. It, it takes a minute for you to, to like, you know, just have a sense of, oh, I don't have to go do that. Like, but yeah. everywhere I drive, like, that's part of the grief. Like, I drive and there, there are times I want to leave California, but then I realize that there is not a safer place than for women than California. So then I have right. to stay. Right. Um, right. You have to stay. Exactly. Um, but part of the, you know, like, parts of town, like, you know, driving her to the doctor enough times, driving her to the hospital, like all of that stuff was so, has been so hard to, has been part of the process. Like, I don't know, think you think, you know, that that's part of it. Like, you know, um, that this hospital represents just so much pain, but the haunting of that, of like these areas that weren't happy memories. Right. You know, they're like memories of your mom, but they weren't great. You know, they're like, this is where things didn't go well. Right. Yeah. Well, and and I was very fortunate because, I mean, I ended up going back to the hospital at the end of the year when um, our friend's um, brother-in-law was dying. Mm. And I went to the hospital and I am so grateful for how united my family um, was, is. Um, but these people were like just at each other. And I'm like, I had to stop right. them. I'm like. Y'all don't know me from anybody, but right now, this is not helping. I, right. I got a kumbaya circle happening in this waiting room with these right, people. Right, right. I'm like, y'all need to pray. Y'all need Jesus, and I don't even believe in Jesus. Right. I'm like, <laughs> the Buddhist is telling y'all to grab hands. We, right. Like, we grabbed hands, and they were so grateful because I'm like, he's dying, and this is how you're going to do this? You're not yeah. supporting his wife. I mean, like, it was just like a whole thing. Um, but I, you know, but I was able to go back to that hospital, but it, at that moment, because it wasn't about me. Right. It was like, how can I help? And then I, you know, so even the, the week before my mom died, I, the, the doctor said, you know, she had to have this test. And so I had to drive out to Westlake. It was the only place that was going to let this test happen. So for those of you who are not familiar with California, Westlake is not close, mm-hmm. but it was the closest I had to get her to get this test done. And as they take her back from this test, this woman is standing, sitting there, and I end up having this conversation with this woman whose mom has been in a vegetative state for eight years because the daughter that she put in charge wouldn't pull the trigger. (gasps) Can you imagine that your mom is on life support for eight years? And this was the daughter, and she said, my sister, she goes, I. I had to choose whether I was going to lose my sister too because we were fighting about it so much. It was so many lessons. Like the universe was like, hi, don't let this happen. Like, you know, right. like we, when, when there was a shot, my mother did not want to be hooked up. We were very mm-hmm. clear on what she wanted. Um, she didn't want to be hooked up to us, you know, because another friend of ours had like 16 machines when we went to see mm-hmm. her. 16. And my mother, as we're leaving, do not let that happen right. to me. Right. We're like, got it, done. And so in the midst of all of this, we were so united. I said to my family, the, the surgeon, the, everybody had 
been working all day on her and they said, we found a hospital that will do it. We found a surgeon that will do the surgery. We found that the, what she needs, it was an impala. It was something mm -hmm. to make her heart beat, you know, help her heart that would pump the blood for her so her heart could rest um, mm -hmm. and heal. Um, and so I looked at them and I said, we have to do it because there will be nothing worse. I mean, like, what if it works? Right. So we have to. Um, right. And so she went and ha we, we drove to Thousand Oaks now. We transferred her. They, like, it was amazing. Just, to, you know, and I remember in that hospital four different times. I don't think you were one of those calls. I went and I found a spot that I could get on the phone and I fell apart. Hmm. I cried so hard. I, I, I fell apart four different times and then I come out and I'm like, okay, like to be there for my family. But my, there were four phone calls that I remember making just, just mm -hmm. sobbing. I can't lose her. And I'm just sobbing. And then I pull it together. Mm -hmm. But that was the start of that week. It was a week to the day she died. Um, they, we moved to Thousand Oaks and then I called and I just said, we, you know, I looked at the surgeon and I said, if you take her off that machine, how long will she live? And he said, maybe 15 minutes. I said, okay, we're done. And I went to her mm -hmm. and I said, are you done? And she said, yes. She shook her head, yes. I hadn't heard her voice mm -hmm. again. She'd been intubated for a week. Mm -hmm. That was painful. And yep. um, before they took her for the first, the, to find out what was wrong, um, that morning they came to the ICU and they took the bed, they took her and like all night long, we'd been running tests all night long. I could see the nurse. He looked scared. I'm like, you need to work on your face. Right. I You're like, you. this is your profession. Right. I, I need you to be you. more professional. You are not helping a sister out. Like, I'm like. Show me calm, cool, collected. Right. There are two places on a plane and in a hospital. I, I need, need you, you to. <laughs> and so anyway, I, I got into the operating room before they did the big surgery and the nurse looked at me as we're walking. She said, this is amazing. I'm like, what? She said, he never lets anyone in his emergency room. I mean, in his operating room. Mm. I said, yeah, he could tell there was no option Ooh. that I was going in. My mother, I, you know, like first he said her heart stopped at one point. She coded, my knees mm -hmm. buckled. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad happened to be there because I'd called him and asked him to bring me some stuff to the hospital, not knowing that this is the road we were going down. And I went in and I chanted in her ear and I wanted them to hear me chant and I wanted them to hear how much I loved her and I wanted them to be really clear that I wanted them to do every fucking thing they could to make sure she was okay. Right. And so the nurse was like in shock that he was letting me in, but my everything in my life said, this is not going to happen without me seeing her. I need right. her to know that I'm here. I need her to know I love her. I need her to know we got mm -hmm. you, you know, because she was scared. Yeah. She needed to see it, it had been just, if I could, I said, I've stopped saying it for a long time. The pain specialist that took over while she was in the hospital was a piece of shit. And I mm -hmm. said, if I met that person in a dark alley, I'd forget I was Buddhist. I have stopped saying right. that. <laughs> It's not a good cause. So I stopped saying. Well, but anyway, you know how I feel about it. I you, know. you might be someone's karma. <laughs> and there you have it. So, but I don't need to make any more negative causes on top of my, yes. like, you know, got it. So yes. anyway, it, 
it, that week was the hardest week. And I will say that um, she died on a Thursday. I did not teach. And on Friday, we went to her doctor's. We, we brought baskets. We bought fruit. We bought stuff to thank the people that had cared mm -hmm. for her for so long. And they thanked us because they said, no, we never know what happens. People just right. stop coming in or they've died and we don't know what happened. So they thanked us. So we went to each doctor, each, um, you know, her primary care, her oncologist. We went to these people and thanked them for caring for her and letting them know what happened to her. Mm -hmm. um, and they were so appreciative. Um, and then I remember teaching on Monday. She died on Thursday and I was back at the school mm -hmm. on Monday. And, mm -hmm. but I, cause I wanted the kids to see that death right. is natural. This is what happened. Right. They've been with me through this whole process. They've been right. with watching me care for her. They've heard me talk about it. I wanted them to see you can survive this. Now they yeah. didn't see some other stuff. Right, right. Where I fucking fell apart. Have we gone right. on? I'm <laughs> I, no, I'll, I'll stop you. Don't worry. Okay. Um, I'm so glad that your family was united. My family was also very united. Yeah. I, my family's very small because it was just me, my brother, and my mom making all these decisions and doing this. But we were also really united, which I was really grateful for. Um, and I didn't know how it was going to be because I didn't know if I would have a different feeling about things than they would when they were um, basically told that, hey, we can put a feeding tube in. It won't necessarily prolong his life, but, you know, he can't eat food anymore normally. You are my first call because I was like, Tara, I'm pretty sure this is not a good choice, but I want to hear your experience. And you were like, don't do it. And I was like, thank you for validating that. And I, I don't even know if I called anybody else. And I just went back to my family and I was like, look, I've talked to people who have been through this. This is not the road. I, I think if we can avoid doing that. And they were happy to take that information and be like, absolutely. Okay. Like, you know, it, it was, it was just so helpful to have someone who had been through it. And I want to go back way back to something you had talked about. Um, and just a little note, um, a little experience-driven note for any of the listeners who this might be helpful for when you talked about advocating for your mom and her pain threshold and when people weren't good at doing certain things, you were really loud about, hey, if this is not your specialty, like find someone else. Like if you're not good at doing this with this scenario, like get someone else who can. Um, I have found that ever since I start telling people that I'm extremely sensitive like I went in, I had a mammogram recently for no other reason, just that I'm of the age that I need to be doing that. And the lady, she was very nice. She's lovely. She was like, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable, you know, this and that. And I was like, okay, well, I just want to let you know, I'm really sensitive. I'm really highly sensitive to pain. And she was like, okay. And she, and every time I have done this, like dentist, doctor, whatever, they go above and beyond and they're checking in, which they would never do if I did, because I, for a long time, I never said anything. Right. right. And I don't know if I am more sensitive to pain or not, but I certainly want them to know so that they're checking in. And that's fine for me to say. And as a white lady, people are right. going to listen to me. Now, as a woman of color or a man of color, we all know that there is a documented there is documentation that says that there are still medical professionals who believe that people of color have a higher pain threshold right. and a higher pain tolerance than people who don't. So I want to say that 
so that regardless of what color you are, especially if you are a, a person of color, brown, black, not white, you may have to advocate triple for yourself. And even then, I, who knows? I can't say, but go in saying, I'm the most sensitive person, I, everything, I splinter and I'm going to cry. Like, because at least then there might be the opportunity for them to take that and oh, this is a person who has pain tolerance. Okay, well, I don't want to make them cry. I don't want to make them make noise. I don't want to like, I think most people right. who work in these systems are not sadistic. There might be a few and I hope you don't get them. But I think if you can start advocating for yourself, even if you don't think you're someone who has a, you know, a low threshold for pain, maybe just start saying it because I think the care just might be different. And I think you demanding that for your mother made all the difference in probably how much pain, she, you know, on top pain, on top of pain, right? There's pain you're not going to be able to take away, but then there's pain that you might be able to circumvent and make less by just being, you know, loud about it or not even loud, but just like bringing it up. Like, hey, hey, you know? You know, I have to tell you that night was really awful and she was crying. She was screaming out in pain. Um, and this was, and so I kept her pain meds on me. I gave her one of the pain meds. That was the only way to calm her down. And I went out to the desk and I said, I don't know who the fuck this person is, but I want them off of our service now. Mm. I, I, I said, and I need you to know, I gave her pain medication so you know what's in her body. Mm -hmm. I gave her, her our own pain meds that she normally has. Mm -hmm. and um, And even in that moment, I wasn't, I, I, because I don't know, I, I, I wish I had gone back to our regular pain specialist and he worked out of that hospital, but some, for some reason he wasn't on our service, um, when this surgery took place and she called me and I had gone home to get some sleep. It was the one time I went home to get some sleep. Everybody's at the hospital. I said, I just need to get some sleep. And they called me and I said, you know, my dad is there. I said, but you know, Dr. Gary is our, our pain specialist. Please call him and ask what she's on. I don't want to tell you wrong from my mm -hmm. lack of sleep. I'm exhausted. And so I'm thinking she's called. And Dr. Gary said to me, I found this out. I was like, you know, what Jessica, whatever her name is, like I was looking stuff up. I was trying to, after, after the fact, um, uh, that she yelled at him. This pain, the, the, the woman, the doctor yelled at my pain specialist and hung up the phone on him. I found this out after the fact because I was trying to dig into what happened to my mother. I went and got her records. I went and got everything. I wanted everybody's name that had been on her service and had, and especially this person because I needed to know, do we need to sue y'all? Do we need to right. do something? Because um, it was... It was awful because she had decided that she had been on too many pain meds for too long. And yeah, I'm like, bitch, she's got bone, like, you know, blood cancer. It's mm -hmm. so anyway, that was an awful night. And, but this, the nursing staff was, had my back, but I just, mm -hmm. I was like, I need you to know that I gave her, her, my own pain meds. You know, but I'm nervous about that because right. I'm not, you know, she just had surgery. I'm not a doctor, but I knew my mother was screaming in pain, like literally screaming. Yeah. And it hurt me to my core. So I just 
yeah. popped a pill in her mouth and she calmed down. So it, it oh was, God. yeah, it was a lot. That night was a lot. And that was the beginning of the end. But I think that um, my mother would not have done well through COVID. That would have been really It would have been hard. really difficult. Nobody had been able to come to this house, number one. Number two, right. when she went to the hospital, they would have been arresting me. Cause I yeah, because you would have gone in with her and they wouldn't have allowed and they, yeah. and And then I found out later that people were allowing people in with, pay, you know, some patients. But anyway, right. but I would have been that girl. I'd have just been, oh, I'm not leaving her alone. You don't seem to understand. So it, you know, when you look back, you go, well, I'm grateful for that. Right. You didn't have that cross to bear in, in addition to everything, everything else. else. Right. Exactly. So you know, just hindsight, the pain of losing her, the matriarch of our family, this woman in the midst of all this was in touch with people on Facebook that we had no idea she was in touch with. Auntie, we love you. Like, you know, my uncle has, one of my uncles has a lot of kids, bless his heart. (laughs) And, um, she was in touch with all of them on Facebook. This is what she did. She still held the family together as she was. So when people say, oh, you did so much, I like, I didn't do anything. I did what was the right thing to do for this amazing human being, for this person that I happened to get to call mom. I would have given limbs for her. I'd have given her my heart if that need, if it would have made a difference. Mm-hmm. There was one time when she, we were discussing um, self-induced, you know, that, you know, going, I don't want to say killing yourself, you know, when you want to die. Oh, euthanasia. Yeah. yeah something like that. Like, you know, yes. taking a pill assisted, or whatever. Assisted, assisted. Thank you. Yeah. Assisted suicide or whatever. It's not, was, it, yeah, euthanasia. whatever. Yeah. But she, we were in the hospital that day and I remember just running from the room and just crumpling down a wall and just crying because right. I was so not ready for this conversation. I was not right. ready for her to go. And that was a couple of years, but she mm-hmm. knew she wasn't getting better. Mm-hmm. And so it was just watching that was, a, so the, the, the grieving started as we get to the topic, the grieving started long before that. The grieving was all along because I knew I knew she wasn't really getting better mm-hmm. because I was with her every day. So there's nothing worse right. than watching your mom die a little bit at a time every day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's fun. But we had yeah. fun. We, I like, I did, but there were things that she stopped doing. Like we used to decorate together or when she first got right. sick. She couldn't do it anymore. I had, a, I had an Oscar party for her and we dressed up in our gowns. Right. And right. like a, I bought a red carpet and we, we had food and like, you know, I just did things to make to memories. And this is what I will say to people. If you have someone dying or if you have someone sick, videotape as much as you can. We didn't, you Mm -hmm. didn't have that back in the day, like day, 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 you know, when her mom died. But I Mm -hmm. videotaped her when she'd be practicing on the piano. I have that forever. I have moments forever that, you know, us in the car singing, acting silly. I found so many moments, me being a Laker girl for her. She goes, oh, look, my own personal Laker girl. I have her Mm -hmm. voice. I have her talking to me, which makes me so happy. Like, I would tell people, it helps you 
to have something to go back and listen to or look at and smile and know that you had fun at some point in time through all of this. There was good times that still got to be had, you know, even though it was really tough. And, you know, mm -hmm. she was a warrior. That's what I called her. Yeah. Um, and because she was in pain 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right. If there could be more, that was it. And like, I don't know about the rest of you, but I doesn't take much of a pain and inconvenience for me to want to leave this earth like within seconds. So like one migraine and I'm like, this is it. Like I cannot tolerate this for five more minutes. Like <laughs> I'm like, it takes very little for me to be uncomfortable to the point where I'm like, I can't tolerate this. Like, right. so I, yeah, I can't imagine. Like I literally, I really can't, I really can't imagine how long she, you know, did it for. And I remember her coming to shows and coming to see, you know, the SGI events that I would perform at or at the shows that we were doing or the PAC shows. And like, she was at every one of them, you know, so she was doing it. She was doing it until she really couldn't do it anymore. And sweet um, and sweet. Yes. She, she, oh, yes. You know, she would get testy every now and then, but she had every mm -hmm. right to get Because I don't know, yeah. you know, when you're hurting, you're just irritated. Yeah. She, yeah. she no. fought that. Yeah, she did. She fought that. But, you know, we... I will say, you know, not to, to the, but without this Buddhism, without Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, I'm promising you, mm -hmm. that was, we chanted a lot together. We chanted a lot for her. And that, there would be times that she just would just start chanting because she just could, you know, she was just in pain or what, you know, mm -hmm. I might, and you're funny because you say, you migraine, I'm done. My sister, my baby sister, Robin. Mm-hmm. Mom's in pain. Do we need to call 911? <laughs> like immediately. And I'm like. I relate to that. Right. I relate to that. I'm like, no, we waited too long to take her pain meds because mm -hmm. she was worried about getting addicted. So she would right. wait. And I'm like, the pain specialist has said you won't. This is not your case. Um, and so it once you get behind pain, it takes so much to get. Right. Yes. In gotta front of it of again. Pain. You've got to get ahead of pain. You got to stay ahead of pain. And she would, every yeah. now and then she would just, and my mother was not a quiet pain person. Mm -hmm. She moaned loudly. She, mm -hmm. she, she cried. Right. There, and I knew when she was septic, I mean, she would be delusional. Like I came in the hospital mm -hmm. one time. I was like, what's wrong with her? I just checked her. She's burning up. The nurse is like, I just checked. I, I know what she sounds like because I've been with her. I know right. how, you know, I, I had to call paramedics one time like yeah like these big old firefighters in the bedroom and like my mother is seeing you know her mother at the end of the bed she's yelling at her like I don't mm. want to go make her go away I'm like okay hold on grandma I need like you to leave time. right grandma I need you to leave and I'm like call my uncle I need you to come get the kids I have my niece and nephew right. please come get them auntie Terry's gonna send you to McDonald's. Everybody knows me. I you ain't going to McDonald's on my watch. I sent them <laughs> right. to McDonald's. I was like, let's go. Right. We got to hard up. <laughs> right. I, I had everything down to a science. Like I, you know, I'm good in crisis. That's that's my yeah. saving grace is that I'm good in yes, crisis. You are. you are. So, um, but I I I don't know how much time we have left. I have two questions for you, left. Okay, because I have mm -hmm. one story that I want to tell you that makes this whole grieving process have um, a really... Let's hear it. Let her rip. Let her rip. Could you have two questions. What are your two questions? 
Well, you might be telling a story that is one of the questions. So. Okay. All right. So anyway, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went on vacation, as you talked about. So bitterly yes. knew about. Yeah. Um, you know, San Miguel de Allende, if anybody wants to go to Mexico, that is the place to go. But anyway, my during COVID, my passport expired. My fourth passport expired. So anyway, it's a nightmare to get it to happen, right? And to try and get it's really passport. bad right now too. I oh guess no, and, and, it, like really and it's up. summer, so everybody's trying to travel, and um, um, so I finally got an appointment through a really odd way. I wrote my congressman. So anyway, um, so I got my appointment, eight thirty in the morning, the day before I have to leave. Anyway. It's a long, even when I get there, I get there at 745 because I don't, you know, 830, I want to make sure that the line is already a million lines, you know, people deep. I get in there. It, it It's a nightmare from beginning to end, but they're so kind. Because Karen helped me. My neighbor, she's a postal mm -hmm. worker. She made me feel like a white lady for like 30 minutes. It was beautiful. Um, that's a whole nother story we'll have to tell. Anyway, they say, okay, you're going to get your passport. Come back between 1.30 and 3 to get it. I'm cutting through a lot of stuff right now. So right. on, I, I go pick up my uncle from the airport because he's flown in, pick him up from flyway, take him home, go eat something because I've not eaten. It took four hours for all of that to happen. I'm on my way back to get my passport. I get a phone call. And somebody says, Terry. And I'm like, yeah. I look and it's like, like it's the passport office. I'm like, oh, shoot. Hello. All right, Terry. I'm like, yes. Um, you didn't fill out a piece of paper properly. So we can't finish your passport until you do. She said, yep. don't panic. We can still get it done. I just need you to get here and not wait in line. Tell, like, no problem. Tell them. I have no problem not right, waiting in line. Tell them. Tell them. <laughs> Wendy or what it went, her name is like that I said to come through. So security is total dick to me at this point. Yeah. They're being really mean. And, but they finally let me in. He's like, I don't know who that is. Do you have a receipt? Da, da, da. I get in there. Nobody knows who this woman is. Nobody knows who she is. I, she doesn't I, I do my, I give my paperwork to someone and they, she's like, I've given it to her. She'll make sure it's taken care of. So they, they give me the paperwork I fill it out, like, and then you have to fill everything all over again. Not just that section. You have to fill the entire thing over again. This is like the fourth time I've done it to that day. So I stamp the thing up there, like, to the window. Is this good? She's like, yes. Just sign it. I'm like, great. So I go sit down. I get my passport. I go to my niece's graduation. I leave the next day, San Miguel. I'm in San Miguel, and we are, it's hot as heck. But we're in this little store. We're walking to this place called the Aurora. Sounds beautiful, right? So we're walking this mm -hmm. store. I'm in this store, and this woman walks. So back up. So while I'm in San Miguel, I ask my mother to visit me. Now, mind you, like. Like in your head? Like like a prayer in your head? Like No, I say out loud, Mommy, I need you to visit me. And sometimes okay. in my head I say, but I say it out yeah, loud, yeah. Mom, I want you to visit okay. me. And like, like a week or so before, the song came on and I'm crying in the car and I'm like, I'm missing you so fucking much. I'm like the mm -hmm. stupid song. And that's what I said out loud. And so I asked her to visit me. So she visits me. But in my dream, we're at a funeral. And I'm like, this girl that I used to teach a million years ago, I'm like, is she dead? So anyway, the next morning I say, Ma, 
thanks for visiting, but can you make it a little more fun? Mm -hmm. That was not fun. So I'm in the store the next day. This woman walks into the store and she looks just like my mother. My heart goes into my throat and my friend mm -hmm. Eva, who was in the room when my mother died as well, said my heart went into my throat. She saw the same thing I saw. I'm like, get the... So I'm like, oh my God, you look like my mom. And I show her my screen on my phone is my mom's picture. And she's like, oh my gosh. And so we have this moment. She goes on and we're, I'm like tripping, right? I'm like, well, I did ask my mom to visit. So I get to the Aurora and our friend Carol has been talking to this woman's husband. And Eva says, did you get their names? And she said, yes. Yeah. She says, did you tell Terry? He's like, no. Terry, go ask, him, ask the woman her name. I said, okay, so I'm told to ask. She goes, no. I said, yeah. She goes, I said, what's your name? She said, Sandra. Not, no. Yeah. I said, no. She said, yes. She goes, oh my God. I said, yes, that's her name, Sandra. Then it gets better. She's married to a white man. So is my mom. Stop right? it. Yeah. She's married to a white man. The exact same years that my parents are married. What? And I, like, I'm like in tears. Like, you know, like, and yeah. she's like, I'm going to cry. And, and I said, my dad loved my mother like his entire goal in life, his being was to make my mother happy. And he said, and she said, that's his, that's how he is with me. Mm -hmm. If I should, I wish I, I could show you this picture. I can show you the picture, but anyway, she looked right, right. like, she, I have it. I, we took a picture together. She, and I told my family, my family like flipped out when they saw this picture. And I right. said, okay, ma, you win. Thank you. But here's the thing. Right. My mother started this. I, trip with me. That call, my name is Terrence. When this woman called me, she called me Terry from the passport Yeah, all office. of your professional stuff is always My Terrence. passport says Terrence. Yeah, all so of your stuff. So this woman calls me and says, Terry, and no one mm -hmm. knows who she is. I promise you. Right. I'm like, that yeah. was my mama. I don't care what nobody says. And then right. this woman, but what happened was, like, I had cried a couple of times like after this, you know, like, you know, and it was like this cleansing cry. And I came home. And I don't want to say healed. But healed in a way that I never thought possible. I never thought that this hole, this deep, 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 dark hole that was in my heart in my stomach and my being was ever going to heal was ever going to feel filled again and I was ready to just be sad about because somebody said to me why can't you just be both why can't you be happy and sad at the same time I'm like oh you're right and I said okay so I was ready to be that person and I can't tell you how light I feel hmm and I, and I mean light, like lighter than I've ever, that I've felt in the last five years. I never thought it was possible. I was ready to just be an aggrieved daughter. Right. To just have that. To have oh, that grief. That just is there. That was just yeah. there. And my mother was not. Mm. I'm really clear about that. My mother was not because that's not who she was. She right. was a very forgiving human being, but. That's not who she was either. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's been hard. 
these past five years to pull my put my life back together to put me back together it has definitely been challenging and um, tiring my AD ADHD which she happily gave to me like along with my depression really hampered my ability to move forward and I finally feel like I have a life I can carve out again. Mm -hmm. The grief has been all-consuming, um, even through my smiles. Right, right. Because in the back was this, I miss her so much. I miss my friend so much. I want to tell her everything. Well, you know what? I do. Right. I tell her. Right. And so I said, you ask your mom to visit you? I'm like, yeah. Because in Buddhism, we believe, you know, energy doesn't die. This being dies. Her body was tired. It had already been through so much. Right. So much. But that energy, you know, I'm still connected to her. I, I know mm -hmm. that. Um, but I, I had to stop saying, I hate living without her. Right. I had to stop saying that. And I know that. Because I yeah. hated, I hated being here without her. Right. I, somebody said, are you sad you didn't have kids? I said, you know what made me saddest is that I wanted kids so that they could meet my mom. Right. That's right. really how that. I felt. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't need to have, I mean, like I wanted, and maybe I wanted kids, but I really wanted kids to know my mother because right. all the grandkids and the great grands love her so much. Yeah. So I didn't expect. So when you asked me to do this, I yeah. found it so ironic and that like, yeah. And that I'm coming to you with, grief that's not palatable anymore that's not this is what i want this is the dream right anyone who's listening to the podcast i'm assuming is seeking out this season i mean i would love for people just to listen to it to have for their own journey you know right. for what's coming because no one's going to escape grief but yeah. i'm assuming that people are going to be tapping in who need the resource and i think it's a beacon of hope for anyone who's suffering that there is hope there's you could feel better this will you know things won't always be like this um you when you had to change your your mantra of you know i hate living w here without her like there's a mantra i've been saying to myself that i got from kind of like a funny self-help thing um that i was listening to to kind of like take my mind off things and it was um i want to see this differently help me to see this differently mm -hmm, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. whatever it is i want to see this differently mm -hmm. help me to see this differently right um and so, and, and actually, I'm glad you told that story because the question was, do you have any unexplained mystical or magical experiences <laughs> that have accompanied your journey? And I know you have more than one. Yes. And I have one of your mother that I had a dream about your mother saying, tell them, I'm, I've told you this one before. Like, you know, she, yeah. was, I, she was wearing red, which I, 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 that color to me is her based on the little apron I wore for the show that we did for her. Like her color to me, I saw her, I thought I saw her driving around after she had passed in a red car 
Like, you know, like red for some reason to me is her. And she was wearing this like gorgeous, big red, like just puffy, like like just royal dress. And she was sitting behind a table and she was laughing. And she, I was like, oh my God, how are you? And she's like laughing. She's like, tell them I'm fine. And she met you <laughs> and her, your sisters and, you know, your dad. Yeah. Like, just tell, she was like, so like, she, that was hilarious. She's like, tell them I'm fine. Yes. Like, it's no big deal. Um, so yeah, there's, I'm sure there's even more of those. I have one last question for you. Okay. So, you know, in the podcast, and I'm trying to not give people advice, especially unsolicited, but do you have a suggestion for anybody who might be suffering right now, like a quick little suggestion, uh, you know, like just even if it's just, I, you know, anything. I, here's what I'll say. And, and I think I said it earlier too, you know, um, I went to therapy because mm-hmm. I couldn't do it alone anymore. I, yeah. I, I couldn't manage my my grief. And um, I, I was very fortunate that he had been my mother's um therapist as well. So he really knew her and he knew stories. Oh, that's nice. I was, There's a ton of backstory was, you didn't have to give them. You could get right, right to the chase. <laughs> I was very fortunate. And, and I'd gone with her and, and him a couple of times. But anyway, and I think to be okay, like my friend said, to be okay, um, not being okay uh, in, in one side of you and then the other side of you, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to be happy, um, you know, um, and try and find those moments. I, I have done things to celebrate her. I celebrate her birthday every year. I go to dinner or what I do something that that makes me connect. But I really do believe, like you said, like my mother is okay. Mm-hmm. My mother, you know, I, what I wanted for her, but this was her journey. This was her journey, and there are things she took on karmic family wise that I don't have to take on. Thank you, mommy. Mm. Um, that, um, that I, I, what I didn't know was that I couldn't save her. I never could. That was not my function. And, um, but I could do this journey with her and we did it together. You know, since she was 15 years old, I came to her and here we are, you know, I was 53 when she died. Mm-hmm. I look really great for my age. Anyway. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you so, do. If anyone ever seen you. Right? Oh. Um, so anyway, like that's, I know it's not, that wasn't short and quick, but I'm just, there. there's no right or wrong. There's no, like, this is the only way to get through this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, and it is, everybody's grief is individual. And it doesn't have to be over in a day, you know, screw those people that say it does. Um, you do your journey, but I, all I, I, there were times I really said, what is my lesson here? Hmm. What am I trying? I, I, I need to grow from this. I need to grow from this. I want to, because this hurts too much. Yeah. It hurts too much. I think that's a great great answer of the therapy I think is a big it's something someone hasn't said yet on the podcast well I know everybody goes at this spiritually point. you know I yes I relied on my spiritual you know my, yes, my no, faith but nobody but, has said like hey hey go talk to so I mean someone alluded to it a little bit like that was right. part of their process but I think yes like get some get a team get a team and not everyone yes. in your around you is going to be properly suited to help you through grief unfortunately and there are people this is what they do 
Mm-hmm. And they're, yeah. they're like, even like we spark, they have grief groups. There are groups yep. like my dad went to one, you know, that's great. So, and we did tell I'll him he could, links. he could date, you know, but we're going to check them out real good beforehand. Yeah. Well, can we talk about dudes already, dusty old dudes already trying to pick up on my mind? I know. Okay. Crazy, crazy. We won't get into yeah, it. Like, we won't get okay. into it. <laughs> it's like two months. They they barely let the dust settle and they were like. No, no. My dad's best friend. They hadn't been to us. Oh he said like until he saw us together. He was worried about him. Excuse me. Yeah. Until he saw us together. Uh-huh. He, you know, at, we went to visit him when we went to D.C., when we went to the mm-hmm, wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, until he saw us together, that he stopped trying to set him up from that moment. He saw how cared for he was and how loved he was. Right. And then he was like, okay, I'm good. Right, right. I don't know why everybody thinks that we want to just, I try to take care of you. Right. Why, man? Like, okay, never, that's a whole nother. Whole other pod. Whole other pod. <laughs> but Yes. Well, we'll end on the note, you know, therapy is a great resource. I'll put some therapy links in the show notes. And as always, I'm going to have some resources to grief, uh, grief resources and stuff like that. Um, But I love what you said about, you know, uh, I'm not going to paraphrase this quite as eloquently, but um, to be okay with not being okay. And then also to be okay with being okay. right? Right. You know, like, and all of that can happen at once and it's complicated. Terrence, a.k.a. Terry Yates. Thank you so, 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 so much time for lending your valuable time here on the pod and your genius and your wisdom and your your spirit. I mean, thank you. You're a diamond. Thank you. You're a diamond. Thank, thank you thank for you. having me. I'm glad that I had you honestly there. I treasure you. And I'm glad I'm you so were glad a I part of my... I was not equipped. <laughs> you were part of my journey. You made it. You, I was safe, though. And that's okay. most important Good. to me. I, I felt yeah. safe. I want to include your pod in the notes if you're ready to at least have it yeah. as like something that can be lingering in people's minds. Because um, Terry's a great speaker and I'm sure you've fallen in love with listening to her. So I'll put it in the show notes. It may not be finished yet, but there might be a episode that you could check out as like a teaser reel or something like that. So we have it. Oh, thanks. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Chili. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I've learned so much from Terry. She's been one of my mentors for dance for over 20 years, but she has been an example to me of so much more. It is because of her I learned how to advocate for my dad when it mattered most, and I've watched her intently how to continue on, surviving and fully intending on thriving, even while you mend a broken heart. Terry is in the midst of doing her own podcast called Enlightened Curiosity, which began due to the loss of her mother and how she wanted to move on and contribute to the world. You can find Enlightened Curiosity on Spotify. I can't thank Terry enough for everything she's given me. If you're listening to this episode and you're experiencing grief, welcome, and I hope this helps your journey. You're not alone. Just a reminder for anyone who needs to hear it, you don't need to have experienced a giant catastrophic event or a death to experience grief. Know that whatever you're feeling, there are those among us who have probably felt it too. You're not alone. If you're listening and you have someone you love in your life that is grieving, welcome. You are also not alone. We as a society have a long way to go in being able to tolerate and help those closest to us manage grief. 
I've included a link in the show notes for the do's and don'ts, which I'm going to read here. Don't assign positive meaning to their loss. In our effort to encourage and support the griever, we may try to project the current situation into a better future way too soon. Saying, time will heal all things, is not helpful. Prophesizing a future positive meaning on top of the grieving person's crushing and devastating loss tends to minimize the griever's current agony, essentially suggesting that they sweep their pain under the rug while focusing on some potential positive long-term outcome. Stay in the moment with the griever. Follow the grieving person's lead. Be an attentive, active listener. Allow the griever to take the conversation where it needs to go. Make room for plenty of silence. Don't jump in to fill space with unnecessary commentary. Sometimes before a two-way conversation can even begin, the griever just wants someone to sit with, literally or virtually. No questions or words of comfort are needed to fill silence. Presence is often what the griever really needs. On their own, sometimes the grieving person will identify a silver lining or hopeful thought that adds meaning to their loss. This is a normal and often constructive way to cope with grief. Remember, the griever is the only person who can know what this loss means to them. Only the griever can make meaning of their experience. Once they do so, it's appropriate to support them in their newfound hope. Use the name of the lost loved one. While you are comforting the griever, all of their emotions are tied up in the loss of their beloved. Saying their loved one's name out loud is a way of validating the life of that person. Say Anne, not your sister. Say Alan, not your son. Say Stu, not your husband. Don't ever be afraid to mention the person lost. Grievers want to talk. Memories are all that remain after a loss, and talking about the person who died helps to keep them alive in broken hearts. Refrain from platitudes. Refrain from platitudes religious or otherwise like, they are in a better place, or time heals all things, or everything happens for a reason. Don't pretend that you know the answer. You don't. No one does. As a person who desires to support a griever, pay attention to what you say. Never say anything that starts with the phrase, at least. Comparing and contrasting your own grief experiences or dreamed-up hypothetical ones with the reality of the loss that just happened is missing the mark in several ways. Making your loss the topic of conversation is asking the grieving person to switch their focus and empathize with your grief at a time when the total focus should be on them. Don't say, I know how you feel. You don't. Seems to me describing how something worse could have happened represents a thwarted attempt to say something, no matter how unhelpful. Stay out of your empty word, ill-informed autopilot script. Choose not to go there. Be open to the expression of any emotion. As an active listener, be open to any emotions the griever may express through verbal or nonverbal means. Anger, yelling, silence, rage, disbelief, denial, crying, pacing around the room, shouting, rocking back and forth, wringing hands, clenched fists, avoiding eye contact, needing to be held, avoiding touch, etc. Be observant about what the griever is expressing, overt or subtle, and allow a safe space to be in that moment. 
Do not in any way tell them not to feel what they are feeling. Remember anniversaries. Try to remember anniversaries such as the birthday of the person who died and the anniversary of the date of their death. Sending a card or a text will let the griever know that you are remembering too, reminding them that they are not alone. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you were able to find something relatable in today's episode. If you'd like to show your support for this podcast, consider making a donation on Spotify. It would also be very helpful if you could rate, share, comment, and subscribe. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please email graymaybestories at gmail.com. G-R-E-Y-M-A-Y-B-E-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who helped make this Gray Maybe podcast happen. Producer and editor, Roderick Barge. Cover photo by Jose Perez. Music licensed by Pixabay. Special counsel, Jada Ellingham and Roderick Barge. Special shout out to supporter, Patty Olgan. Until next time, bye for now.